Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Those are, but I believe uh, God has provided for us in the New Testament Scripture, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, some guidance and instruction through this particular chapter in general that the Apostle Paul dealt with the Corinthian church on that gives us some guidance and instruction on how to approach, deal with, respond to, if you will, controversial issues. Not only in that chapter, but also in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians as well. There are some portions and pieces of chapter 10 that does the same. And all this uh, was brought back to my mind, I guess, this week because in my yearly Bible reading, it brought me through this particular chapter. And every time I read this chapter, every year, my mind goes to this same subject and how, how needful and how pertinent it is. And it applies, amen, to us and can be of a benefit to the church. Amen. If we really would just pull this in close, glean, learn, understand, and apply the Word of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, there's only 13 verses, but I'm reading the entirety. Yes, good thing we're not doing Psalms 150, or 119 rather. Uh, they're going to read the entirety of 1 Corinthians 8. The Apostle Paul says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heedless by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Again tonight, my subject matter is controversial issues. The the issue that's in controversy in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 is eating things that have been offered to idols. Now, 
that is a controversial issue for the New Testament church in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We have our own controversial issues today in our society, and many of you perhaps could fill in the blank. Things that uh, one may say this is wrong and another say this is right, and uh, so on and so forth. And so where do we land on those things, and how do we approach them? What type of information do we have from Scripture? that can help us approach those type of things. And I'm going to try, with the help of the Holy Ghost, uh, go through this chapter tonight. And I pray, again, this is not a muddying of the water. This is making clarity to the water uh, whenever it's all said and done. If you'll just hang with me tonight. Let's pray that God would help us in the next little while. Father, I come to you tonight, and I'm thankful, Lord, God, for your mercy and your grace. I'm thankful, God, for the people that have gathered here this evening to lend an ear to hear what the Scriptures say. God, and that's going to be our focal point tonight, God, what your scripture says. God, in this particular chapter right here is the Apostle Paul. Lord, gave wisdom concerning a controversial issue and matter, Lord, in the New Testament church of that day. I pray, God, you would help us, enlighten us, God, educate us, Lord, anoint us, God, and help us apply it, God, to our own everyday lives. And we'll thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church say amen. 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 And so again... The subject matter of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, particularly as it states in verse 1, it's a little vague to a certain degree in verse 1, but Paul gives greater clarity as the chapter goes on. The subject matter is things offered unto idols. And we come to find out a little bit later that Paul more particularly denotes it's the food, those particular things that are offered unto idols. Now, I don't know this for sure. I don't have no facts concerning this. I don't know if Paul received any questions from the New Testament church at Corinth regarding this particular subject matter about eating uh, uh, things or food that's been offered to idols. I don't know if they had to ask a pastor seminar in the New Testament uh, situation, and so he's now addressing this as we did just a few weeks ago. But I do know there have been seemingly other chapters that he has answered what would be questions in the minds of, of new believers or even old believers for that matter. I don't know if Paul just maybe simply observed that this particular subject was a point of controversy in the New Testament church and so he addressed it because he could see and observe that it was a point of controversy. Nevertheless, he dealt with this subject matter of things offered unto idols. He clarifies, of course, in verse number four what is being dealt with. He says in particular... The eating of those things, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Now, folks, on the surface level, on the surface level, just looking at it on the surface, eating things sacrificed to idols was a moot issue to some. To some, it was no big deal if you were going to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But on another hand, it was something to be considered by others because they deemed it wrong to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so herein lies the controversy. Here is one sect of people that believes there's no big deal, and we'll get to the reason why they believe that, no big deal. Why? They would eat something that, was, that had been sacrificed an idol. And here's another group that says, well, it's absolutely wrong for someone to eat something that had been sacrificed to an idol. So nevertheless, right or wrong, the whole concept that we're considering tonight is that this was a controversial subject. This was a controversial issue. And so this chapter that the Apostle Paul writes then gives us 
some guidance, amen, through the Word of God, whereby we can handle not just modes of whether or not today we can eat uh, meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but it's to lay the foreground for us on how to deal and contend with controversial subjects in our generation. Because we have some, they're not one, they're many, and it's according to what part of the country you live in, they can increase or decrease. Controversial issues can. And so those things, if I might give some type of definition tonight, those things that I personally uh, term to be mainstream controversial issues are those that have no direct instruction in the Bible concerning rightness or wrongness. No particular or specific precept in the Bible of instruction of rightness or wrongness. Uh, those things that I call mainstream controversial issues are those where you can see half per se of an organization feel one way and half of an organization feel another way. Half saying it's permissible, another half saying it's not permissible. Those are the things that I'm talking about being controversial issues. And so the premise here in 1 Corinthians 8 uh, is that there were people that understood, this is what Paul said, there's people that understand there is one God. Does anybody understand that tonight? He said, there's people that understand there is one God. And so he said, for a person then to offer meat to an idol and then to eat a portion of that meat that had been sanctioned and put aside for an idol is really no big deal because an idol is not a God because there is no other God but one God. And so Paul was saying, who cares what they're doing to an idol? It don't have, have no clout. It, it has no godship to it. There is only one God. And so there's some that believe and knew and understood that there is one God. And so an idol was just, it was not even on the radar. It was not even to be considered as a God because there's only one God. And so simply stated, Paul then said in verse 4, for these people, an idol was nothing. Right. I, an idol was nothing. It, it, it By and large even didn't have an existence because there was only one God and they knew who that one God was. Right. And so that's once, and those were the ones that says, big deal if we eat offering that someone had sacrificed an idol. Idol's nothing. Right. Idol's not even a God. There's only one God. We know who that is, so that, that isn't even on the radar. Right. And so that's one sect of people. But there was another group of people, however, that particularly some that had came from the practice of worshiping idol gods from the practice of making their sacrifices unto those gods and now they had been converted from that now they have been taught that there is one God and they believe in that God but they're having difficulty, difficulty shaking the customs and the practices of their past concerning this idea of eating meat that had been used in idol worship because in their former life, those idols had meant something to them. Yeah. And, and, and there's something to, to consider whenever we talk about some of these controversial issues. And that is you've got to begin to think about where some people have came from. Mm -hmm. That maybe wasn't raised in a home that went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. Uh-huh. 
And so you got to bring that into consideration. And so they said in their form, right, this, this is something, these idols meant something to them. It held connotations for them. And they had a hard time separating from that, although they believed in the one true God anymore, to be able to eat part of that meat when they ate it for a different, here's the real thing, for a different motive and purpose. You hearing me? In their former life. And so they, you got to consider what, what, what happened with some of this meat that was sacrificed to idols. Usually the meat that was sacrificed to idols, there was a part of it that was given to the priests. It was common and custom practice that the part that was given to the priests, that the priest of these false pagan idols would often sell their portions of the meat in the common market. And so as you go out in the common market and you're getting some cabbage, you're getting some carrots and lettuce, here is a place where these priests are selling uh, sacrifices that have been made to false deities and false sacrifices for the common consumption of the people. Not only that, sometimes there were portions of this meat that was served at the feast that was in honor to these false idols or false gods. Sometimes uh, the worshiper that brought the sacrifice to the idol and had it sacrificed to the idol was allowed to take a portion of it home and eat it at his house. And so just imagine if you were sitting down to the dinner table at somebody that was not of the same faith and persuasion as you was, but they made a nice meal, you might just very well be eating some meat that had been sacrificed unto an idol. For that matter, if we said before in our time of taking communion, not just in the pagan way, but even in us, for that matter, it was commonly believed that whenever a person had, had, had made a sacrifice unto their God, that whenever they partook of that sacrifice, that they were having fellowship with the one to whom the sacrifice was made. That was the mindset of even pagan and the religious world. And even Paul even went as far as to say, you know, the idol might not be anything and it might not be nothing. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, but whenever you start gendering around with some of that, he said, it might, that might not be a God, but there is such a thing as the adversary, the devil. And he said, you could be partaking in having fellowship with devils. He said, whenever you do this thing. So it was a custom in the Gentile world even this, consider, it was a custom in the Gentile world that every meal they had involved placing a portion of the meat on their family altar in their house for what they considered their household gods that was in their home. And so we have two, two different stints of people here. We have one says, man, I know there's one God, the idol's nothing. It don't even come on the radar. We have another group of people that may have been entrenched though in that type of lifestyle, been converted, and they're having a hard time shaking of the practices that they once were involved with. And so they're having a hard time consuming any of that because they knew what it meant for them back when. Even though it might not mean that for them today, they couldn't shake the motive of why they did it back when. Is everybody all right? Amen. We're on a journey tonight, so just hang in. Uh, what this will do hopefully is answer some questions again not to muddy the water I wish there was more here because this could, could help uh, some people that are not here amen this evening and help me and I wouldn't have to rehearse it again verse chapter verse number one when we read the scripture the Bible says Paul says all have knowledge but note verse number seven Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge in other words all have knowledge but all don't have the same knowledge all have knowledge, but they all don't have the same understanding. In other words, and I'd like to even point out here that the word all there in the Scripture, it's not just denoting 
those people that are the believers or just the Corinthian church. It also is denoting those that may be outsiders as well. All have knowledge, saved or unsaved. But not all people, even saved and unsaved, have the same understanding and the same knowledge. In other words, controversial issues are not solely about other Christians and their knowledge. But controversial issues is about people in general, saved and unsaved. Because I guarantee you, and this is where we got to be very cautious concerning these type of issues, we can, by our actions, cause the world to scratch their head and think, I didn't know about that about the church. You hear me? Because even in their minds, they already have preconceived notions of what the church does and doesn't do and what Christ asks for and doesn't ask for. And there can be a controversy, not just even between the brethren in the church, but between what the church, what the church world does and what the world thought they should or shouldn't do. And so the Bible says and tells us in verse 1 that both knowledge and charity build up. But note now, the target of the building up, one puffs up and one edifies. That, that just means both of them build up. But the target of the building up differs with knowledge in comparison to charity. With knowledge, knowledge puffs up. When it abides alone knowledge, you know what it normally puffs up? Self. I've seen a lot of people have knowledge and nothing else. And they were arrogant, egotistical. They were puffed up over what they knew. But, but, all right? And news, usually people that have a lot of knowledge and they're puffed up and that's all they have and they're puffed up about what they know, they tend to disregard or despise others because they're the knowledgeable one. Uh-huh. But the Bible says charity, which is another word for love, charity edifies. It builds up too. But look, it doesn't just edify God. It also, with charity, it edifies others. So knowledge by itself puffs up itself. Self-edification. But charity, knowledge might I even say with charity, though, is a different game. Because it's not just going to build up. It's going to build up others in the process. Amen. And so the idea that Paul's beginning to proclaim here is that a man with knowledge should refrain from eating meats offered to idols. Look now, based on love. Here's the thing. He says, a man with knowledge that knows that there is one God, and so an idol is nothing, he understands that, and so it is no big deal to him if he would eat meat offered to an idol. He has that knowledge. That man with that knowledge should restrain, though, from eating meats offered to idols because of the love that he has for his neighbor or his brother. Amen. In other words, he should refrain. He should not be in the position where he's trying to convince his brother that is seemingly without that knowledge or weak in his conscience or weak in that knowledge. He should not be trying to convince him that Hey, you just need to get over that and start living life. So that should not be the way. As a matter of fact, he says, he tells us in the scriptures here that if we were basically, if we were to choose to be guided by knowledge or to be guided by love, the better of the two is to be guided by love. 
The reason being, when you're guided by love, you honor the two commandments on which the Lord said all the other law and the prophets hang. And that is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, all of the law and the prophets hang upon those two, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Knowledge is just going out for number one. But whenever love comes in the equation, when you're guided by love concerning controversial issues, you might say, it's no big deal. We got the liberty in Christ in order to do this. It's okay. But if you got a brother of a weak conscience that says, I don't feel like I can do that. I feel like that's wrong. Then by love, based upon and guided by love, you say, I'm going to refrain because I have love for my brother and I don't want to lead him down the road to temptation for him. Someone hear me? So I'm not going off of knowledge. I'm going off of love. And doing so, it's the better guide. And you're keeping the commandments of the Lord. Those two, at least, upon all the rest hang. Because here's the thing, if we cannot act out a controversial issue without wounding or injuring the conscience of another, then we should refrain. Because we have a love for our brother or for our sister or even for the unsaved. Everybody say amen. The Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, we got to hurry on. we got a lot of ground to cover. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If any man love God, the same, the same man is known of him or of God. If any man love God, the same man is known of God. Not only that, but that man and his love for God are known by his love shown to others. So not is that man only known because of the love that he has for God. That man is also known because of the love that he has and shows to others. Uh Uh-huh. Wherein lies in controversial issues, considering our brother of a weaker conscience. Though we say it's no big deal and it's nothing, considering our brother of a weaker conscience. The Bible says in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How? If ye have love, one to another and one way in which we display love there's a lot of ways but I'm for our purposes tonight one way in which you show that love is in controversial issues you take the higher standard whenever doing otherwise would lead the brother of weak conscience down the road that he doesn't need to go amen verse number four he says an idol is nothing he said that wood that stone all that he said that's nothing There's none other God but one. But again, consider tonight, those with past involvement with idols, they even suppose, they left a little slot in the back of those wooden and carved idols, a little slot and a little vacancy and void in there because they supposed and believed that invisible spirits inhabited those idols and that vacancy in the slot in the back. So do you understand what a man that's been with that type of past is dealing with whenever he comes to salvation and walking in the spirit and power of God? Amen. And what I think is important to understand that though there is no God, though there is no other God except the one God that we know and serve and try to practice our lives after, although there is no other God, listen to me, lend me your ears here for a moment. 
idols, though they're no God, idols were very instrumental in serving as deterrents for one's worship to that true God. They might not be a God, but they were a distraction. They were a deterrent. They might not have no direct power. Uh, the Bible tells us in Psalms 130-something, eyes they have, they see not, hands they have, but they can't do anything, noses they have, but they smell not, they have a voice, but they, they have a throat, but they cannot speak. They have all these different things with the appearances to be able to function and do, but they can't do any of that. They don't have any direct power in them or of themselves, but indirectly there was a power there to distract someone from the one true God. Simply put, reason with me here for a moment. Simply put, the Israelites of old through the Old Testament were taught from birth to adulthood. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They were taught that. They have it on their doorposts. The phylacteries that they had up on the wrist or their forehead, those scriptures were written therein. It was constantly put up in their minds and put up on their hearts that there's one God, yet they were still, more than any other people sometimes it seems like, were given to idols and idolatry throughout their history. They allowed those things, listen to me carefully, they allowed those things that Paul said an idol means nothing, they allowed those things that meant nothing, according to Paul, to have meaning and influence in their life. And so it's quite capable in today's age with some controversial issues that one says okay and another one says not okay, that someone can take something that means nothing and put meaning into it. Someone hear me? Cause it to have meaning and influence in their life. For one, idols separated them from the one true God. Now look at verse number eight. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither we eat, are we the better? Neither we eat not, are we the worse? And so Paul's saying, eating this meat may not be right or wrong, nor not eating it may be right or wrong. But look at verse nine. But... Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours to do it or not to do it become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Paul says, no big deal if you do or you don't. If you do, no big deal. If you don't, no big deal. But here's the exception. If doing so, if doing so causes a stumbling block to them that are weak. He says, but if, if eating becomes a stumbling block to another one that is weak, then you must refrain for love's sake. You must refrain for love's sake. Someone say amen. Because what to begin with appears not to be a matter of importance becomes a matter of importance if doing it will cause another to stumble in the relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Doing it is wrong then if it will cause someone or prevent them. And then again, I'm, I want to put this in our minds. I'm not just talking about Christian brethren. I'm talking about people that's not even ever come to the church yet. Doing so is wrong. Taking the higher road is what you do, should do for love's sake if doing it will prevent perhaps them from ever pursuing a relationship with God. They don't never had one yet. The controversies between the church and the world and perceptions. 
He says, if you're going to do it and it's going to prevent somebody from, from pursuing a relationship with God, take the high road for love's sake for that one that don't even know God yet. So the guide in tonight is, when you reason here, the guide then here tonight isn't whether or not is eating meat sacrificed to idols concretely wrong or is it concretely right? No. The, 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 the guide here is this. Will it prove injurious or wounding to a brother or someone else or possibly lead a brother or someone else to sin or cause an outsider to remain in sin? That's where the crux is. Talk about is it absolutely right or right or wrong? Paul already said it doesn't matter either way. But if it's influence in the life that has a weak conscience to go down a downward slope, it, it's it's making them succumb to a temptation that you can overcome, but they can't. He says, refrain. The Bible says in Romans 14, 13, he said, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. In his brother's way. For the New Testament church, it was a man eating meat offered to idols. If there was another one there that felt conviction and so that he couldn't go that route, particularly one that may have been a part of that lifestyle. That's right. And, and we'll get to this in just a moment. There's something deeply that you have to understand. And we'll get to this. It's not just what the action is. All right? We can see actions, but what we cannot see, listen to me, is what people's motives are in their actions. You can see actions. Two people can do the exact same thing, but have two different motives. I try to figure out with people. Someone can come up to me. Someone can come up to me. We've did it before. Someone come come to me right now. My wife, she's the way you know she's recovering and all that, and say, "How's your wife doing?" Two people can do that, and there can be two different motives from that. One sincerely cares and wants to know how she's doing. The other one just wants the men tell so that they'll be in the loop and have information. That they can know what's going on. Two different, two actions, exactly the same, but two different motives. That's what we're going to get to right here in the scripture. A lot of times, it can be the very same action. And your motive might have been sincere, but what is the one observing thinking your motive is? Someone say Amen. Albert Barnes said it like this. He summed it up so well, I just thought I would just repeat it word for word. He said, it is of far more importance that your brother should not be led into sin than it is that you should partake of meat, which you acknowledge is in itself no importance. In other words, in verse 8, Paul told us, Paul told us doing it or not doing it isn't right, isn't wrong. So in that case, it shouldn't really matter to us or not to us if we sacrifice if we meet sacrifice to idols. It says it doesn't matter either way. So if it don't if it's no big deal either way, then why is it a big deal for you to call to the higher standard if it's a nothing matter to begin with? Because you're trying through love to love your brother and keep them safeguarded in their walking relationship. Because this isn't really about just us doing our own thing. It's about us as a body. Uh-huh. Us as a body trying to be successful for heaven's gain someday. If I, if I can, through my actions over something that doesn't matter, help keep somebody else's relationship intact, then thank God I'm going to do it. Maybe not for my own sake, but for my 
brother. Because if it's no big deal, then what's the big deal of protecting another's weak conscience? Verse 10. For if any man see thee, here we go. This is the, he's coming to the conclusion here. Here's the person that says, it's okay to eat meat that's offered to idols. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, this knowledge there's only one God, an idol means nothing, there's no other God, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak, the one that doesn't agree with that, that believes there is something wrong with that, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? He says, for if any man, again, any man here, not just talking about your Christian brother, but your non-Christian. Understand that the knowledgeable one or the one regarded as knowledgeable, the one that says the idol is nothing, there's only one God, if he partakes of the meat, he very well then may have influence over the one witnessing this to partake of the meat. Now listen, for one, we're talking about the knowledgeable one, per se. The knowledgeable one, if we would consider this, the knowledgeable one is the one that we would be considered to be at least or should be the example then in the equation. I think what that kind of uh, underscores here in the Scripture is that there is an importance and a power of example, or might I say this, at least leadership, being the knowledgeable one. There's a certain, there is a certain level uh, of expectation, of example that you lead, of leadership. Amen? Because you're the knowledgeable one. You know there's one God. You know this and you know that concerning all the scriptures. You have this great liberty in Christ that you can exercise. So you have, you're, you're performing as an example to people. You're as a leader to people. And there's an importance and power in that example that you lead. You have influence. Mm-hmm. The Bible says in James 3 and 1, it says, my brethren, be not many. Everybody say masters, knowledgeable ones. All right? Knowledgeable ones. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or that masters or knowledgeable ones receive the greater judgment or masters, knowledgeable ones, as the Greek have it, are going to be called into question for what they do. Someone say amen. So that means it makes no wonder, Brother Fred, why people who are described as examples or leaders or for our purposes in our Bible study here tonight, the knowledgeable ones, such as the offices of bishops and deacons and elders and even deacons' wives, that the Scripture tells us in the book of Timothy and the book of Titus that they were to be blameless. Uh-huh. And the word blameless basically means nothing to take hold upon. They were to have nothing to take hold upon. In other words, there must be nothing in those individuals' lives that others can take a hold of and attack as being a little off. It's a metaphor, really, that was taken from uh, the case of an expert and a skillful boxer who defends every part of his body in, in so much that it's impossible for his opponent to give one hit, to get a hand on something. So we're talking about 
this blameless attitude, the knowledgeable one, that's who it should be. They should have a track record. Someone say amen. And so the Bible even tells us concerning the bishop, moreover, that he must have a good report of them, not just of the brethren, but those that are without. Knowledgeable ones, people in leadership. Going to have the greater judgment, the greater condemnation. And so, folks, herein lies the difficulty. When the knowledgeable and esteemed one, the leader, if you will, as stated in verse 10, is seen eating meats that have been sacrificed to idols in the idol's temple or elsewhere for that matter, the question is, here's the question, how will that impact another brother or an outsider that witnessed this? That's the question. We're not looking at the question right or wrong doing this. We're asking how will it impact an outsider or another brother that witnesses this. Now listen, here's, let's go back to this mode of action thing. The person in there that believes this is fine may be in there with the motive of just eating a meal or just eating meat. But the one witnessing them doing that may think they are endorsing worshiping idols. Is someone listening to me? Or at least separating themselves from the worship to God that an idol all time could do. Your motive might have been pure. But this action can be ambiguous concerning motives. This action can be ambiguous concerning motives. And they may think your motive is something else. And based upon the something else, they may go and do the same thing you are doing. But here it is, with a different motive than what you were doing it for. And they go in there doing it with a different motive than what you were doing it for. And you know what? They got snafu in temptation to sin. Just eating meat might be no big deal, but if you're eating with the purpose of doing worship to the idol, boom. Someone hearing me? So hearing is the problem. Again, people cannot see your motive. They can only see your action. And so this whole occurrence, according to the verse then, this whole occurrence may very well embolden, or another word, confirm, the one with a weak conscience to do something in such a way that would cause them to sin or give in to temptation. So by our example, leadership, the knowledgeable one, by our example, here's what we can do. We can either help silence the voice of another's temptation or we may help embolden the voice of another's temptation to sin. Because they interpreted our motive different than what our motive was. But they just seen the action. Is someone hearing me right now? Controversial issues. And here is something to consider concerning controversial issues. An innocent matter to one may become a matter of influencing worship and regard to false gods for another. In other words, what doesn't master you may become a master to them. Does that make it clear? What doesn't master you may become a master to them. They could become slaves. And so with that, Paul tells us more than one time in the New Testament Scripture that we must always be careful with this thing we call liberty in God. Note, note in verse number 9, he even tells us 
take heed least by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block I want to read a couple of verses I shared two weeks ago but these two are exactly the same except for the last phrase 1 Corinthians 6 12 and 1 Corinthians 10 23 the first part of it is exactly the same in both of these chapters and verses it reads like this in both all things are lawful unto in one place for in the other place unto me or for me but all things are not expedient all things are lawful for me and then here's where it differs in 1 Corinthians 6 12 it says but I will not be brought under the power of any in verse in chapter 10 and verse 23 it says but all things edify not so he's saying all things are lawful all things are lawful all things are lawful for me but important here contrast exception but I will not be brought under the power of any all things are lawful but the point that something that is lawful becomes my master I can no longer engage in that because I only got one master I can't have two masters I only have two masters all things are lawful all things are lawful for me but he emphasizes again in 1 Corinthians 10 23 everything's lawful for me everything's good no big deal but all things edify not in other words all things lawful everything's good for me but if it becomes my master I got to refrain but if it doesn't edify if it doesn't build up so listen to me here is the loophole to all things being lawful and you celebrating your liberty in God if it masters you it's not lawful for you if it does not edify and build up it is not lawful for you remember knowledge by itself puffs up but it puffs up self but knowledge with love or charity edifies it builds up what others someone say amen and so the law of love considers both God and others so eating meat offered to idols if it doesn't edify others then it's not lawful for me it's not lawful for me see one man may be safe but another man is in danger by the same thing one man may be able to resist temptation but another man, that temptation may completely overcome him. He's the one of the weak conscience. So I take the higher standard because I love my brother. And that's what God said I should do. Everybody doing all right? Is anybody getting any type of enlightenment through what I'm saying or am I just spitting into the wind here? Huh? I see this in Old Testament. This quickened to my mind years ago, years ago, second church, and I preach it in a few camp meetings. I preach a sermon when dirt isn't dirty. Someone might even remember. I don't know. You still got your dirt? That's awesome. Anything growing in it by now? <laughs> Planted it. I'm sure you did. Second, Second Corinthians 5.15. My mind went back to that story because I believe this is illustrated in that story, this whole concern of controversial issues. The Bible says he returned to the man of God, speaking of Naaman. He and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, that is Naaman said, Behold, now I know. Look at what he's admitting here. This is after his healing. Now I know that there is no God in all earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant. In other words, Naaman has come to the knowledge, he's become a knowledgeable one right now, that there is no other God but the God of the Israelites in the whole earth. In other words, there's no other God but the God of Israel. But look, Knowledge was coupled with love, and love edifies not just self, but others. 
Naaman was so concerned after his cleansing of leprosy and dipping those seven times in the skin being made clean as a baby again. He was so concerned about his presence when he went back to his native land of Syria and was under his master, so concerned about his presence of having to walk with his master in the house of Rimmon, an idol, a false god, a no god, if we could say it like that. He was so concerned about that because he said, God, whenever, whenever my master leaneth upon me and I bow in the presence of Rimmon, would you pardon me? Hmm? Because you know what he wanted God to know, and he was really hoping everybody else would know, my action is not the motive that people might think my action is portrayed. The Bible says in 2 Kings 5, 17, And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, look at this, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth. That's where I preach from. For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods among the Lord. He said, when I do sacrifices, when I do offerings, when I do praying, it's going to God. But he's living in a pagan land among pagan gods. He says in verse 18, And this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, that he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. God, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, please pardon me, because I'm not doing worship. I'm not doing it for the God of Rimmon, which is no God of all. Don't, don't, please pardon me. Don't look at me with the improper motive in doing this. As a matter of fact, God, he said in the verse before, would you please just give your servant a couple mules of earth so that whenever I leave Israel and I go back to Syria and I do my prayers and my sacrifices and my offerings, I'm going to spread that dirt out on the ground because I want people to know me worshiping, praying, and sacrificing is not to the gods of our land, but they're to the gods of the land that this dirt is associated with the one what was he doing there I tell you what he was doing he was taking a controversial issue and though he could have did it right there on their soil and had his intent and heart for his God the God of Israel he didn't want people to misinterpret his motive action but they wouldn't know his motive so he says give me some Give me some dirt, God, so the whenever I do my sacrifice and I do my praying, my offering in the land of Syria, that I'm doing it on Israel's land. And that's, that's really directed toward you, God. And so I say this today. Actions and appearances matter. Actions and appearances matter, especially when the observers do not know our motive for why we're doing what we're doing, and they draw their own conclusions. Verse 11, everybody doing all right? Awesome, glad to hear it. Verse 11, he continues after this, be emboldened to eat those things which offer to idols. Verse 11, and through thy knowledge, you're the knowledgeable one, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Paul's saying in this question, he's relaying, we shouldn't do anything to frustrate the work of Christ in the life of a person. Because Christ died for that person. And note again, this is all-encompassing. Christ died for the saved and the unsaved, the found and those that are still yet lost. We should not do anything to frustrate the work of Christ. Someone hear me? The work of Christ in the individual. Listen! 
please Linda here I know you might be bored out of your gourd and you really could care less what I'm saying but I am saying something very important that you'll ask me about years from now or maybe even weeks from now so listen Christ died for them saved and unsaved how did he accomplish that listen Christ denied himself along with any self-gratification that he would receive. He denied himself for them. Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor. The Bible tells us that Christ had all power in heaven and earth, but he did not exercise that power on Calvary, on the cross. He denied himself. He kept at bay any self-gratification. He restrained from exercising that power on the cross. So listen. That's love. That's him dying for them. That love that he acted with is the same love that we received. Hear me? The spirit that he had is the same spirit that indwells those that have been born again of the water and the spirit. And if we receive that same love from Christ, should it then not cause us to deny what we may deem as being innocent and permissible a privilege and a liberty doesn't matter any other way in order to safeguard our brother or sister or those that are yet to be saved from temptation and leading to sin by a different motive. Someone, if you're not getting it all, go back to the podcast when it gets on. I'm behind a few weeks, but that's okay. It'll be there. This one will be there. I'm not mentioning any particular controversial issue. They're just all grouped together. So this one will be there. I hope that I help some other church, someone else somewhere. That God does through his word. He denied himself. We received that love. It's a no big deal matter. We should be able to deny that gratification of eating meat offered to idols for the sake of our brother who has a weak conscience and says, I can't do that. You can get by with it, it'll snafu me. I got a history with that. I'm, I really wasn't going to go here, but let's just talk. This is probably a way out example. But I believe it's quite possible. Never done it, never been there. Some of you may be able to tell me that's had the history. I suppose I could very easily go into a bar that that's all they do is a bar, and I might be able to get me a Coke. Could I do that? Could I? Some of you know. I could go in there and get me a Coke. I could. In reality, there'd be nothing, I guess, wrong with me going into a bar and getting a Coke. Nothing. But a brother of weak conscience that maybe was an alcoholic and the bar was his regular meeting place sees pastor going into the bar, sees my action, never went in there himself because he knew how that snafu'd his life, comes out and thinks, He's the pastor. He can go in there. Surely I can do that too. He goes in there though. He gets it shaken and not stirred. All those other fancy terms with alcoholic beverage. He didn't know my motive was just a Coke. Now that is an outrageous example that applies and you can take the same application in various other controversial issues. So you're not seeing me at the wagon wheel or uptown, whatever else it's called up there. My car parked there or me walking into there. I'll get a Coke somewhere else. I can get a Coke somewhere else. I'm not going in there. Why? For one thing, 
really on the grand side of things, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But, but even if I did, I wouldn't because there may be some of you with weak conscience. You hear me? And because of my love for you and your relationship with God, I don't want to hinder your relationship with God by my liberty in God. You know, someone could do some really mayhem with this sermon and just cut a phrase out of this and really murder me. Just like they do in the newspapers all the time. I'm willing to become the sacrificial lamb for that if that is the case. Maybe I gave someone the idea. I don't know. Verse 12. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. We sin against our brother or our neighbor, might I say, when we refuse to love them by abstaining when we would rather take the liberty to do. Because when we love them, we edify them, we embode them, we build them up. Build them up as a neighbor in their own convictions. We don't tear them down. Listen. And this happens, folks, with controversial issues all the time. Those that believe something is okay and the others don't may stand over here and look at the other and say, well, you just don't know. Don't you get it? This is fine and okay. And they're trying to convince the other side of the party that it's okay. But that is not the position the Bible says we should take. It's not try to convince the other that it's okay, but just to go on with the one that believes it's not okay for the safety of them. Yeah, I know that don't set well, and maybe you've not practiced that for the past 20 years of Christianhood, but that is the way the Bible says it should be done. Someone say amen. Not only, and I'll say this, not only this is controversial issues in this terms, but I believe in, in, in private uh, home settings that this should be the case with personal convictions. My wife and I traveled for years. We went places that didn't believe in wedding bands. We, believe in play, we went to places that people believed that you shouldn't wear leopard print clothes at all. We went to places that believed that you shouldn't have a point on your necktie. The whole time we traveled, I didn't wear a wedding band. The reason being, because there was people in places we went that had personal convictions for that. And you know what I was doing? I wasn't taking my liberty. Saying, bless God, I don't believe there's any, no problem. No, 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 no. Wasn't doing that at all. I was going by the higher standard to safeguard not just a pastor, but all those sheep that was in that church. My wife, we was in a revival for two weeks, and she had every type of animal print under the sun, leopard, tiger, bear, oh my. And she wore the same black skirt for five or six nights in a row. Why? Because she was protecting the brethren or those yet to come. Now, here's the reason why you got to understand custom thing like that. In that particular area, anything of that nature was associated with prostitution. So watch out before you lay a finger on somebody else's conviction before you know why that conviction is there. And that goes the same for this church. You just wait before you lay a finger on a church standard around here until you know why it's there. Someone say amen. And note then, if you go on and do this to sin against them, look what it is, is to sin against God and not keep his commandments. So here we go, folks. There is a whole idea. There's this whole idea that it doesn't matter if you do eat meats, sacrifice idols or if you don't eat meat sacrifice to idols 
Either way, it's no big deal. But, big one right there, it's elevated to a whole nother level when you go on and proceed with it and it wounds and injures your brother of weak conscience because in that moment, you didn't just sin against them, you sinned against God. So a matter that didn't matter becomes a matter with God when you injure someone that he died for and self and self-sacrificed and did away with self-gratification for that you're not willing to do the same. Meaning to deny yourself of some things for them. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Everybody doing okay? I know. I'm alone. You know what? Whenever I miss a service or two, this is just what happens. So Paul tells us in verse 13 it's the last verse so you should be comforted by that maybe wherefore he sums it all up wherefore if meat make my brother to offend I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend now offend here does not mean to enrage or irritate if I make my brother enraged or if I irritate my brother with what I'm sure uh, what I'm doing folks I'm sure there's more things than I can even list that I've probably done in the past that enraged or irritated somebody. All right? But most of the time when that's happened, it's because they are who they are and I am who I am. Irritate or enrage. For instance, while on this topic, we're not to overlook those who, and there's a fine line here, but there's some, it's not about a brother with weak conscience, it's about a brother that's gendering a pharisaical spirit. And those that have pharisaical spirits has this universal censorship spirit, meaning that no one can please them. And they'll find fault with everything and everyone. That's not my subject matter I'm talking about here. I'm talking about some legitimate weak conscience where if a person did it, it could cause them to fall to temptation unto sin. But offend in both instances in verse 13 means this. To offend here means to trip up or to entice to sin. So wherefore, if meat make thy brother entice to sin or trips him up, he says, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother enticed to sin or I trip him up. Someone say amen. amen. And so Paul sums all this up very masterfully because in verse number 8, he seems to agree and states that he could and would eat meat, but he will forever abstain, in verse 13, from it if it's at the expense of his brother's relationship with God. He said, I would, but I won't if it's going to cause someone to fall away from God. And so while we come from different cultures and we come from different customs and some of you come from different backgrounds from what I came from as a child growing up, amen, godly households, ungodly households, we do not want our actions to help dethrone the conscience of somebody else. Because a good thing about the conscience, if the conscience is submitted to God, it can really help a person make right choices and right decisions. But if my action going into the bar, hear me, and getting my Coke spawns them the rejection of another person, it's okay then to go to the bar. And they deny what their conscience says is wrong. Someone hear me right now? then what other things will their conscience tell them that's wrong that they'll deny if I open up that floodgate? Is someone hearing me? If it would lead someone to real sin where there is no controversy, but there's black and white, 
endorsement in the scriptures. The Bible tells us to let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. If you'll stand and I'll come to a close and we'll shut up, or I'll shut up at least. You can keep talking if you want. So as a pastor, I want to relate to you as a pastor concerning controversial issues that come up. Churches between churches or churches in the world, controversial issues that seem to come up. And again, whenever I state a mainstream controversial issue, I'm not talking about someone that has some wanky idea, one among 99. I'm talking about where there is a major separation and division of like a half and half type of scenario. They believe, yeah, it's okay. They believe it's not okay. I think with great reason then, the first pastor of the Jerusalem church in Acts 15 did what he did based upon what Paul was talking about right here in 1 Corinthians 8. Because James, whenever he came back to the Gentile believers that were new converts, there were a few things that he did require of them. And one of them that I even told you a couple weeks ago, one of the things that he required of them, he said, it seemeth good to us and to the Holy Ghost concerning this list. He said, here's one thing, Gentiles, you must do. Abstain from meats offered to idols. Now, James, you're the pastor of the New Testament Jerusalem church. Paul said it doesn't make no matter if you do or if you don't. But you're saying, Gentiles, I think we need to abstain from meats offered to idols. What are you doing? He has taken proper spiritual guidance concerning a controversial issue for his church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And I believe James seen the controversy. He's seen the split on both sides that made of his church. And he says, overall then, I'm making a, 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 a plea here that we abstain from meats that are offered to idols. Why? Because although we may be knowledgeable, we need to be knowledgeable with charity. And love's going to build and edify those that have weak conscience, the other half, that have weak conscience among us, so that we don't aid them to temptation and to sin. And we're going to safeguard their relationship with God by holding to the higher standard. And as I said two weeks ago, the principle then is simply this. I said all that, and here's what it all means in one sentence. If you want to take all this and kind of, you know, take a piece of paper and you crumble up to a small little tight ball, here's the tight ball. In issues of controversy, support the higher standard. Support the higher standard. And you know what the higher standard always equates to? Not doing, not doing what you believe is okay, but not, not doing what you believe is okay, but not doing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not giving in, but keeping up with. The higher standard is not saying, well, we can go to the bar. That's what we're all, that's the, that, this is the church mandate. Everybody from tonight on can go to the bar uptown and have yourself a Coke. No. That's not in controversial issues taking the higher standard. The higher standard is we're going to refrain, although you could go in there and get a Coke and there would be nothing wrong with it, I suppose. But your motive for going in may not be what someone witnesses your motive to be as you walk in. In controversial matters... Go and take the higher standard. Now, I hope that made water more clear rather than more muddy. But I think it's important today because these sometimes remain as elephants in the room that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to discuss. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I hope that we just said there's the elephant and this is what the Bible gives us instruction and guidance concerning that. And I think that's important. Someone say amen. You just... 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.